Check it out. Welcome to Top of the Class. Hear from education experts and get insights from high achievers to learn how you can do the same. Get into those top schools. Ready? Proudly presented by Crimson Education, the world's leader in university admission support. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Top of the Class podcast. It is awesome to have you on the show. Can you tell our lovely listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, and thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Um, So my name is Sarah. I'm a 17-year-old student from Toronto, Canada. Um, I'm also a top 25 environmentalist and Ontario junior citizen. I'm, I guess, an innovator and poet as well, so I I really love creative writing. And um, over the past four years, I've worked on two main projects, the first being a bioplastic made from food scraps, and the second being a biosorbent um, made from polysaccharide, aerogels, and biomass to remove oil from water. And in my spare time, I love to write poetry. And so I guess through my climate activism, climate volunteering to support climate-based organizations, I naturally just channeled um, environmental activism in my poetry and had the incredible opportunity to be published in two books. So that was really great. And um, in my spare time, I love playing the violin. So I've been playing the violin for about five years now. And uh, I love reading as well. Talk to me about that recent achievement of, was it top 25 uh, environmentalists? Yes, it was. Um, so I, it was actually a surprise when I came to know that I was nominated because just one day during math class, I got an email uh, stating that I had been like a selected candidate. And I was so excited. Um, I remember telling my mom when I came home. And so um, I think I think it's really more about the journey and mm. uh, your accomplishments uh, prior to even getting recognized. Um, so for me, working on my project has always been um, I guess a way, it's kind of always been like a hobby, uh, never something that I began so I could win something, more just trying to solve issues that I didn't see in exactly a, the best solution. And so um, I was definitely surprised and it was an incredible opportunity to meet all the other top 25 environmentalists as well. And I learned a lot from them at the same time during the summit in March. And so overall, it was a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Let's go back a little bit because I think, you know, anyone with a you know, background that you have today had to start somewhere. Where do you think that was for you? You know, like the starting point of Sarah flourishing into an environmentalist and actually turning ideas into projects. So it was actually in grade four through a school project and our teacher gave us this assignment where we needed to present about a global issue and essentially she just chose these random uh, global issues and, and she just pinpointed us at the class and said, okay, Sarah, you're going to be doing climate change. And so um, naturally, I had always spent time outdoor and so I always considered nature to be my best friend. So I was pretty eager to begin doing this project because I knew about climate change, but not really on a global scale how detrimental Mm. climate change really is. And so grade four was really the beginning of my journey when I read all these like shocking statistics. And so I'll just give you one that's on the top of my head. Um, Over one million animals die each year due to plastic pollution. And that's something that I had discovered and um, led me to designing my own bioplastic. And so it was in grade four when I really decided that um, it was something, it was a really important issue that needed to be solved. And I really wanted to play a role in designing solutions or being a part of that change. 
And so I began by um, just volunteering at my local community. I actually started a program at my old public school when I was in grade five that was like climate fact of the week. And I would announce it over the PA system. And um, as I grew up and now in high school, I opened um, the school's first environmental club. So just those small steps and seeing where I can get involved and seeing where change is needed. Um, But I think one quote that really um, I guess inspired this was be the change you want to see. And yep. um, our teacher put that up right after we had completed our presentations. I think it was the whole part of that like lesson uh, that you can change the world if you if you see something that you don't like per se or that's something that's really affecting the planet and even you at one point. And so um, I guess that was the beginning of my journey. And then I'd always taken a liking to science. And so one day I decided to, I guess, test how I can combine science and environmental stewardship together. And I had to do a science project in grade six. And so what I did was a lemon battery, actually, to combat um, battery pollution. So I think that was really when I realized, okay, this works. It's it's not it's not scalable, but it works. And so yep. I got that first push to really um, see what else I can do on a global and much larger feasible scale. And that's when I discovered, like, on, on a more global crisis, plastic pollution and the term bioplastics and decide to do my own series of testing. And then I pivoted over the past two years to removing oil spills from our oceans along with heavy wow. metals and and organic compounds. It seems like a lot of little baby steps for you where it was like project, lemon battery, um, and and then, you know, doing the announcements. And it's kind of like, oh, Sarah becomes known as the environmentalist at school. It's like this title that you carry around with you. And I'm going to guess because of that and everyone looking at you being like, you're the environmental girl, then you must think, well, you know, that gives me permission to do things that other students aren't doing. Is that something that you experienced at all? I definitely do think that when people see me, they think of me as the environmentalist. Um, But I don't think that's exactly what gave me the push to do anything. Um, I think it's really about knowing when when you need to step in and I think the first step in doing that is really realizing the problem and so I think I think the main advice I would give is to do research if you know a little bit about a problem um you need to be like having all the main statistics and facts so that you know you can get an idea of the specific part of that problem you want to solve because right. climate change is a is it's a huge issue it's not just one thing it's like multiple things all together and so i mostly focused on um single use plastics like ending that and as well um removing of oil from our oceans so like oil spill pollution but maybe someone else can work on something else for example let's say um um, for example, cellular agriculture, or maybe using solar energy, maybe designing yeah. maybe a better efficient solar panel. Um, and so I think what really the first step is um, knowing knowing what the problem is. And then after that, you don't need to wait for anyone to tell you or give you that invitation. Okay, mm. you can now work on a project. And I think one of the main things that often stops youth in general from really taking that first step is maybe considering their age and that maybe they don't really have um, the opportunity to really change the world. And I think that's the complete opposite because when we're young, we're going to look at things from a different perspective. And I think that's so important. 
especially when solving global issues, because we need different perspectives. So um, I think just um, realizing that your age is actually a superpower and that you don't need yeah. to wait, let's say, until you, ha- you're, you become like a scientist or you graduate to actually change the world, you can really do that right now if you're really passionate about that problem and you want to solve it. You don't need to wait for permission to do anything, really. You can yeah. solve any problem. I, I completely agree, and I, I have to say that's a running theme of the Top of the Class podcast where students are not limited by their age or don't see that as a barrier to achieving different things. But I, I still will challenge you on one thing. How do you not look at something like oil pollution and think, wow, that's super overwhelming? Like, you know, that is a global issue. Like huge governments, huge organizations have dedicated all their, you know, all their time or probably not enough time actually, but, you know, a lot of time and money to uh, you know, solving some of these issues. Is there ever the thought of, you know, what could I do uh, against what they do? Like, what, you know, how could I contribute in a way that is meaningful that is not already contributed? Did that thought ever cross your mind, like the overwhelming scale of these problems? Because I think that's an issue as well. Like, environmentalism is, is, is great, but a lot of people look at the global issue and they're like, oh, my God, that's so big. Maybe it's worth starting at like a local scale first, potentially. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I definitely do agree. Like I did feel very overwhelmed at first. Um, Mm. And there's actually a term for that now is eco anxiety. But um, I think one of the main things we need to start doing is we need to turn that eco anxiety into eco action, actually, and to start using our fear and turning that into solutions instead of waiting for other solutions to be presented, because we don't know if solutions are ever going to be presented. And maybe it's up to us to really solve this problem. Um, And so I think definitely, I'll repeat this again, I think just having knowledge of the problem. Because Mm. if you have knowledge of the problem, you're going to also know what current solutions are there. And then you can take a different approach and see, um, for example, what can I do that maybe I'm interested in that can actually solve this? And so that automatically gives you that opportunity to create your own unique project in a way. And it doesn't even need to be science. It could be, let's say, a youth-led organization um, that maybe does, let's say, beach cleanups for yeah. plastic waste. You know, it doesn't always have to be one certain thing. Maybe you could use poetry as a way to do your activism, um, maybe even dance. So it's really up to you and because um, there, there's no one specific way to actually to actually change the world. You just need to Mm. use your inspiration, your creativity, and have knowledge of that specific issue. But I do think definitely baby steps are so important. I don't think I just began working on science projects immediately. I think Mm. it was more about doing a local effort and trying to first impact change in my community in the beginning and then slowly scaling upward at the same time. And also as you grow older, you're going to maybe learn more about science. So when you're in grade four, you're not really going to learn about polymers. Um, So definitely trying to understand that when you're younger will be a bit more challenging. It's definitely doable. But um, as you grow older as well, more ideas will come to you because you'll have a more understanding of, let's say, why oil spills are a problem and why there are no current solutions specifically. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's a good breakdown. I love that breakdown. And I love the invitation to, you know, the dancers and the poets and everybody else out there. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be a scientific approach to solving a problem. It can be raising awareness or it can just be, you know, a beach cleanup. I think anybody could go around and pick up a couple of bottle caps and and whatnot and, and 
feel like they're making a difference. And I think that's super important. Tell me more about your project. I mean, you've done a couple of different ones. You can kind of take it, <laughs> you know, whichever project you want to discuss first, I guess. But yeah, talk, talk to us about like the development, uh, understanding the problem, and then, you know, turning it into like, how do you actually make it like in your school science lab? Did you research online? Did you talk to a professor? All those weird questions. Yes. Yeah, so I think the first step is knowing first what problem you want to solve, just narrowing yep. it down. Let's say you're going to you're going to you're going to try tackling creating like a better alternative energy solution. Well, there's so many out there. You need to really pinpoint which one you want to focus on the most, because mm-hmm. if you don't have a solid foundation, then you'll probably be very confused when trying to work on your project because there's yeah. going to be multiple elements to take into consideration. So really pinpointing which problem you want to solve. And um, I think one one advice I would give is to not give up because the moment you start working on a project, there's there's going to be a chance 100% you're not going to get the result you're looking for. And that's all right because that's the whole point of science, actually. That's the whole point yes. of working on a project is it's not always going to go perfect, especially if you're trying something new for the first time. Um, but just keeping in mind that really what success is, is how willing you are to fail. And that's something that I constantly kept telling myself. And it's now become my mantra that, you know, success isn't really my willingness to try because I could try but then quit. And that's not really success. Success really is how willing you are to fail and then persevere through that failure to create an even better project. And Love so it. I think just one, one thing that will really help is, is consistency, because if you give it 100% in your first try and it doesn't work out, you're going to feel very discouraged. By just Mm. giving, like, let's say 1% each day to that project, let's say you begin today on the research and then tomorrow you're going to meet with your science teacher, even though it's summer holiday. (laughs) Um, Let's say during a school day, for example, you're going to meet with your science teacher and ask, you know, is this something that makes sense, I guess? And you can get feedback. And so just those really small steps really play out in the bigger picture. And what we really need is um, linear, linear steps in order to get to exponential change. Because if mm. we just take that one whole step first, it's, it's not going to go exactly the way that we want. And having a growth mindset as well, because really all it takes is just that one yes. And so if you keep persevering and you keep trying until you get to where you want to be, then really from there, there still be there will still be challenges, but definitely you'll be prepared a bit more because each obstacle that you face really does give you more knowledge, essentially. And so yeah. an example from my project would be from the biomass plus polysaccharide bioservant that I designed. Um, so, so say that one I, more time a bit slowly, slower, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Biomass def- polysaccharide. Uh, aerogel biosorbent. Put that into some kind of easier to understand terms for us. Sure, yes, definitely. So a biomass is essentially a natural polymer, which is, mm-hmm. um, for example, let's say orange peels or pomegranate peels. Those are considered right. to be natural polymers. And so um, I tested a bunch and I did a lot of research and I discovered that orange peels and pomegranate peels, they're really high in cellulose and polysaccharide content, which is kind of like um, what they're made up of. And yes. so um, that is hydrophobic. And it also has this property where it's called physiorption where essentially um, a liquid can coat onto a solid without actually being absorbed. So we call this adsorption instead of absorption. Okay. And um, 
Basically, what ends up happening is with this phenomenon, I was interested in testing out if I can use it to clean up oil spills, because oil spills they say they stay coated on the water, and so if there was an opportunity to remove it from the surface of the water and then be able to degrade that biosorbent. It would be pretty interesting to have that、mm. uh, solution, especially since there are no biodegradable sorbents at the moment. And so that's, I think, the main reason why I chose orange and pomegranate peels. And then、um, the aerogel component、um, comes in with also cellulose aerogels plus an alginate aerogel from brown seaweed, and that combined together through like an aerogel making process essentially removes heavy metals and so like lead and cadmium and organic compounds. Let's like say pharmaceuticals or different、um, like oil as well. And if you combine that together, you can create let's say like a Ten times better biosorbent, and so throughout this、uh, project, I had to create four biosorbents because my first result only gave me ninety-two percent of oil removed, whereas、mm-hmm. my final result gave me ninety-eight percent of remo- removed oil. And so it was much better、um, to to see how how better I could make my project, and then、mm. by adding in different components. So my final prototype actually included the aerogel. Okay, this is awesome. I love that explanation. Thank you. That was so good. I am going to figure out just a couple of things that I'm curious about. Number one is: is this like a high school lab type experiment, or is it all theory, or has it had actual practice, or where are you doing these things essentially?、Um, so. This isn't exactly high school project material.、Uh, the polymer part is. I learned it in grade twelve chemistry,、um, but I think it's really about you know、um, using different components of what you learn in school and then doing your own research to take your project to the next level.、Um, so I worked in my school's lab to do this project. I was so grateful、mm-hmm. for my、uh, chemistry and biology teacher to allow me to use the lab, and.、Um, awesome. Unfortunately, due to COVID, I wasn't able to go in a lab. But now that COVID is、uh, like COVID protocols are slowly easing, I think definitely I'll send my proposal and I'll reach out to more professors as well because I would like to test prototype four in a more professional setting、uh, yeah. to see, let's say, what what different、um, like changes I can make, and also to see if this could be implemented on a global scale at the same time because. It could possibly become like my goal is for it to become a a global project, something that can be used internationally、uh, because it does remove oil, and at the same time, it can be used as a water remediator for removing like heavy metals from water. And、mm-hmm. lead pollution is a global crisis around the world, everywhere. And so、um, those are my next steps. But so far, I've done until prototype three testing in my school's lab, which resulted in a ninety six percent removal of oil. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to guess you keep all the orange peels and pomegranate peels in your house. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you're like, don't throw that out, mum. Yeah, don't throw that out. Give them to me. Give them to me. Is is that something like legitimately that you do? Like、yes. you collect a lot of these things, and okay, wow. Yes, <laughs> that's essentially what I ended up doing. <laughs> that's so cool. That's so cool. And and so you're you're turning this into a、uh, hopefully a global project, and then I'm going to guess you know come and you know an oil spill, like if something's happening out there,、uh, the the message could go out. Hey, you know everybody, turn in your your orange peels and pomegranate peels. You know, I'm I'm honest. Like it's it's honestly like a fantastic. I mean, imagine like a populace nearby being able to have that 
I guess, been empowered to make a difference? Because a lot of people, when they see an oil spill, they're like, oh, what can I do? You know, I mean, you can sure clean a bird and whatever and like help that way. But, you know, in this way, it'd be like, yeah, like removing the oil spill uh, with that efficiency would be amazing. So, oh, you know, all the best on that. Um, Can I ask, in terms of your research, did you see anybody or anything that resembled your project at all? There's definitely a lot out there that um, I got inspiration from. So, for example, the removing of using different types like peels to remove oil from our oceans. And so I think it's really to create your own unique project. It's really about combining, I guess, different inspirations together. So, Mm -hmm. for example, I found the inspiration from polymers from my grade 12 class. And then more about aerogels um, from research and just really researching um, what current methods are there. And is there anything biodegradable to what exactly to what efficiency? Can I create this efficiency to be like better? And so that was really my thinking process. And um, to see, let's say, if I can combine different things that I learn and create my own thing that's that's different. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because I think that that's part of the problem, I think, for a lot of students is they say, well, you know, I've got this idea, but I bet someone's already done it. So what's the point? And then it's kind of like, well, you can do your own twist. Like there's nothing to stop you from. And even just like changing the ratios, right? You know, someone's done exactly the same project, but done it, you know, 80% this way and 20% that way. Well, you might get better results if you do 75, 25, for instance. Maybe they didn't try that, you know, like there's always variations on a theme. And I think a lot of students or adults, whoever, you know, they kind of assume that it's been done before because there's so many people in the world. But really, it's probably worth like doing your own thing and, and not looking too much at what other, like, yes, get inspiration, but don't get hung up on what other people are doing, right? Yes, exactly. Like, don't focus too much because if we think about it in the world of technologies, just as an example, um, everything is always changing. Like, there's yeah. the new iPhone 13, but probably a few months from now, there's going to be a new iPhone and, they'll ha- and it'll have better features, for example. Um, so I think it's really about, um, like, every project or whatever you do, see how you can make it better than what's currently existing because because there will always be room for improvement. Let's say my biosorbent um, and aerogel combined, it only can remove 98%. But let's say in the future, someone can create something that removes, let's say, up to 100%. And maybe even can remove, let's say, microplastics now. And that would mm. be something that, that can really change the world because now it tackles more issues. And so really, there's, there's always room for improvement. And I think the mindset that really did help me when working on my project to really, let's say, not just keep the oil spill removal rate at 92, which was my first prototype, and now it's a prototype four, which is 98, was um, really thinking, how can I make this project 10 times better? What else can I include so that this doesn't just tackle one problem, but multiple problems together? And I think just thinking with that mindset really will help you find inspiration, but also keep you in- encouraged to continue working on it in a project. For yeah. Example. Yeah, 100%. Um, now, when you're thinking about how can I improve this project by X percent and these types of things, where where do you go to, you know, figure out some ideas? Do you speak to professors? Is it Google? Is it uh, some classmates, teachers? Like, who are you going to? A combination of those factors? 
Yeah, so I think it's really about leveraging your network. Um, so I, I always say that Google is your best friend. If you have any question, just Google it. Um, there's so much, there's, or there's rather so many resources on Google. And so really, if you just Google one thing, you really can get to multiple different uh, researches. For mm. example, if you just read one research article, they always put like a reference at the end. And so just reading that really does help you get a more broad and general understanding. For example, when doing my oil spill research, um, I discovered that oil, uh, sorry, coconut husks can be used to remove oils from our water. And so um, that's completely different from what I'm doing. It's more of an orange and pomegranate peel. But just learning about that can also help you learn more about, okay, so what's the science behind my project and why exactly yeah. is it working? And by just learning more about that science, you can incorporate other elements together. But I definitely do think um, in reaching out to other people is very important. So when I was working on my project, I reached out to different people on LinkedIn. I reached out to professors just to get advice. And I reached out to professional um, industry leaders to learn more about what they're working on and as well to, to get advice on what I was working on as well. And so it's really about um, using using your network to to develop a better understanding, and as well to see what you can do to make your project better. Awesome. Well, I've got a question on the reach out because you do have a fantastic LinkedIn profile. If it's okay, we might put that in the show notes as well, a link to your profile so people can yeah, see sure, what's going on with your, it's, it's very good. You do a lot of updates. It's, it's really, uh, you know, in terms of student ones, in terms of anyone's profile, actually, it's, it's, it's very, very good. But in, when you say you're reaching out to professionals and reaching out to you know, professors, uh, that must have been daunting initially. And you must have learned quite a bit about not just the science, but about, you know, communication and also dealing with rejection, I'm going to guess, was a factor occasionally. So so take me through that process, because I think a a lot of students would love to speak to a professional in some kind of area, but they're just too nervous or don't even know what to say. So what was your process like there? Um, so at first, I de- definitely, <laughs> a lot of people didn't even reply. Um, and, and I think that definitely hurt at one point. Um, but I think what you need to re- tell yourself and remind yourself is that really, it's not it's not you. Um, maybe maybe they're too busy or maybe there's a huge project that the, the, the team is currently working on and mm. um, maybe they don't exactly have the time to take to respond to your email. Um, and unfortunately, it's not always where industry leaders um, help youth. There are definitely industry leaders who do help youth and they're very interested in helping them to gain new knowledge. But unfortunately, in some cases, um, it's, it's, it's um, I guess normal to for some people not to respond and so um i think we need to remember is that all it takes is that one yes as i mentioned before so even if let's say someone says no or they don't respond just continue sending out emails or let's if you're using linkedin um maybe just send them a quick message. I think it's always important to keep your message also brief. Don't send like a huge paragraph. Right. And then, um, because especially if these people are taking time from, from their schedule to like read your message, uh, you don't want to send them a huge, a huge, I guess, paragraph on what your project is about. Really just give a brief introduction and see if they respond or maybe if uh, maybe they can connect you with someone else. Also mentioning that in your email or message um and 
Uh, just keeping it brief is one of the biggest advices I would probably give. And also asking someone who maybe has experience in outreach. So for example, I'm part of the Knowledge Society. And so mm-hmm. I asked my directors an advice for outreach tips. And they gave me advice and it actually ended up working. Because <laughs> at was first it? I was... Um, as I mentioned, just being really brief, um, don't make the message about you. Also, me- make the message about them as well. So yes. just highlight... Um, what what work they've done that really interests you or fascinates you and then give a little brief message on on what you would like let's say the meeting to be about and just speak in a more formal plus informal tone don't go and speak as if you're speaking to like a i don't know I guess the president, Yes. <laughs> um, you don't want to go um, write a kind of an outreach email or message specifically like that. Keeping it professional as well is important, but not super, uh, let's say, informal or too formal. Um, write as you speak, for example. And um, yes. keep, yeah, I, th- I think those are the main tips that I've implemented and they've worked for me. Um, awesome. Yeah, awesome. The main three. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask, uh, how many messages do you think you've sent in total? Like how many people in your journey have you roughly estimated would you contact, have you contacted during this whole journey? And how many replies do you think you've got? And, and has that ratio or percentage increased over time? Yes, yeah, so I, I can say that it does increase over time. Um, I think as you develop the skill more, people will start responding. And I think also you need to be aware of who exactly you're sending the message to. Let's say Mm. if you're sending a message to the CEO, it's highly unlikely they're not going to respond. So you shouldn't really feel, I guess, bad if they don't respond because they're just really busy. So I think sending messages um, to, I guess, professors from a university or asking your teacher if, if they can connect you with someone from their university or just sending messages to someone that still has a leadership position, for example, um, but isn't, let's say, the CEO of a company, there will be a higher chance you will get a response. Um, and maybe they will be able to connect you with more people as well. And so... Right. Um, I, I think I sent probably about like a hundred messages and I got about like 40 replies. That's along good. Those lines. Yes. So um, I definitely started getting more of the replies after I implemented the advice and I started getting replies back because then I would tweak my messages to see how I can make it better. But like the first few months I would get no replies back and that's okay because it's really a learning journey. Yeah, I think it's really worth having a list of up to, you know, 20 or 30 people that you're going to initially send contacts out to and see what you get back. Because I think a lot of students set their set their hearts on like the one person that they think is going to solve all their problems. And if that one person doesn't reply, then their whole plan comes crumbling down, right? Like, and they've lost all confidence. So you got you got to have like backup plans, right? Yes, definitely. I think I think you should have a backup plan for everything that you do, generally. Uh, even, let's say, working on a project. Um, if I, like, so my backup plan was to, I guess, do more research. <laughs> I know that's not the best backup plan for a project. But it's, but, it's, um, it's a backup plan. <laughs> it is a back, back, backup plan, yes. So um, I think for my project specifically, I think it was more based um, on the testing process which is why if it didn't work out I would have to do more research eventually but uh for example when doing my outreach which will be a better example I had like a list of about 20 people that Mm -hmm. I wanted to reach out to 
And I sent uh, emails to all of them. And so um, I didn't, let's say if one person didn't respond, well, I still had 19 other people who might yeah. respond. And um, I think another really important thing is thinking about the time as well, uh, because especially if someone is really busy or let's say professors, they may take it may take a while for them to respond. Often you might get discouraged, but um, it doesn't mean, let's say, that it's 100% no. So I think having that little bit of hope is always good. But if they don't respond, um, I think I think you should still definitely continue even while you're waiting for a response. You should still continue uh, reaching oh, out. Oh, yeah, 100%, 100%. I remember a student reached out to me on LinkedIn and they sent sent me a you know cold message and I was like okay great I've seen it but I was pretty busy at the time and I didn't respond and then like two hours later they messaged again and they're like hey just checking you've seen the message I'm like literally you messaged two hours ago <laughs> chill I mean and like some students like they're so used to really quick replies you know like the the world that I think you know your generation's growing up in it's very much like instantaneous you know within 15 minutes you're expecting a reply you should probably expect a reply within a week maybe you know hopefully like some people will see it and be like yep I'll get to it and then when they've got their quiet day on the Friday afternoon or whatever and they're looking for things to do that's when they'll get back to you you know like yeah. it's it's just having a bit of patience there right yes definitely it's a tricky thing now I'm interested as to what's next for you you're, you're kind of top of the world top 25 environmentalists you've done these you know awesome projects I'm going to guess you're looking college bound at the moment are you Yes, yes, I definitely. Um, um, I think one another thing that I really want to do is public speaking. I've actually mm -hmm. always been interested in public speaking ever since I was in elementary school. I think it's really about sharing your inspiration and your story with others. Because mm. growing up, I loved listening to TED Talks. And I think that's I think that's how I got a lot of like my motivation to start doing things besides uh, research and like school. Um, I think it also came from TED Talks as well because I love learning from other people's stories and just yeah. hearing their advice because they give really practical advice that is that is idea changing. And so um, one of my main goals is to become a a public speaker. And I did begin that journey in January. Um, so so far I've spoken like on a about like 10 different stages, um, speaking to like adults and youth. And um, I had the opportunity to keynote in February. So that was super cool. And I think that it's all about the baby steps. I can't, for example, let's say go straight to Web Summit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Start yeah. small, definitely. And build that, I guess, that courage and learn more about, you know, public speaking coaching and seeing what makes a really good public speaker so I think that's one thing that's on my list and my journey, and I'm and I'm actively trying to work on that by also reaching out to different uh, companies as well and trying to apply to different speakers bureaus um, and seeing how that goes. But at the same time, I really do want to continue working on my projects as well. So mm -hmm. I'm slowly switching my focus to uh, I discovered something known as biochar, and I really want to see what it can do. Cool. Uh, for different projects. So I'm currently doing research on that for my summer. And I've gotten a few internships as well. So that's something that I'm working on. And basically, I'm trying to grow everything that I've continuously been working on from um, my volunteering to my projects to now my public speaking, because I really want to share my ideas and my stories with other youth in hopes to inspire them to do something even better. And yeah, that that's, that's pretty much my main goal. <laughs> 
Awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, definitely like uh, TEDx events uh, are very prevalent. I think more prevalent than obviously the TED Talks. Uh, for people out there who don't know, TEDx is kind of like a licensed version of TED Talks, but run at usually like, you know, schools or, or whatever. It's kind of like a, they license out the, you know, branding uh, and you, and students can apply to be a TEDx uh, school or a TEDx host. Um, we've certainly seen some students run that in, in Australia here. And like, there was a student that I interviewed from the podcast uh, who's from India, who's an author in India, who was a speaker at a TEDx event in Sydney online, oh, wow. right? Really cool. So yeah, 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 yeah. So like, if you want to get that TEDx experience, I would recommend, you know, casting the net fairly wide and, and seeing what online events are out there that, you know, you might be able to tune into. And definitely like public speaking is an, an art form and it is something that every time you get off stage, you can kind of refine a little bit more about, you know, how you deliver your talk and what you do and what you say and these types of things. Um, but yeah, I was going to ask about like all these things going on. Are you, are you working on a college application at all? Yes, yes, I did. Uh, I did submit my applications as well. Oh, great. Um, yes. So I'm staying kind of local for my university in the, in the Ontario area, maybe right. um, because I do want to become a doctor. Hopefully for, let's say, my medical school, I'll probably maybe go to the US or somewhere. I, I'm not 100% certain with that part. I know that I love science, so I'm going to pursue science as 100%. Um, yes. But I'll see, I'll see my next steps, I guess, when it's... And it's, I guess, more closer to that time. For you to yeah. Uh, now, is there any final advice you'd love to give to our listeners? I, I, yes, there's one advice that I would like to give. Um, I think it would be to start before you're ready because mm. uh, there, will, there will always be a time when even when you're ready to start, something will pull you back. So just taking that leap of courage is really important. I know that's a very common saying, but um, it's really important to implement it in anything that you do because um, really, if you don't try, then you never really know what, what that door of opportunity can open for you. So starting before you're ready, definitely do have an idea of what you're doing before you're starting, but um, don't have the exact, let's say, like um, plan fully finalized um really just start and then make the plan as you go you can maybe have the first two parts ready but then leave the rest to be decided as you let's say do a project or whatever you whatever your goal is right i totally love that advice i think that's so true not just for students but for me as well like i'm definitely uh I love that. Start before you're ready. I think that's some uh, very sound, very sage advice. And the other one as well that I loved, and I'm just going to get you to repeat it one more time, uh, which is the mindset around having the will to fail, was it? Yes. Success is really how willing you are to fail. I think if students can come away with anything from this episode, it's those two really key pieces of advice, as well as all the other experiences that you've shared. Sarah, it's been awesome having you on the Top of the Class podcast. Really enjoyed this chat, and I look forward to sharing the episode far and wide. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Top of the Class. Subscribe for future episodes. For show notes and to plan your best future, head to crimsoneducation.org.